Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. It's Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. My name is Timothy Michael McKernan. You have chosen me, and I am here because of your choice. And I will be here from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. because you wanted more of me. I'm a tiny little boy, and there's only so much of me to go around. Text in 65780. Jackson, what's the lead? Decide. It's a Sadie Hawkins you pick. Missouri. Wow. Matt Rocchio is in the studio, and he is shaking it off. He scoffed. Like Adam Wainwright at Shea Stadium in October of 2006 with Carlos Beltran at the dish. Wow. Matt Rocchio disappointed, disgusted even, and he is exiting the facility. Don't let the door hit you on your way out. Oh, my God! Jackson says it's Missouri. Yeah, that's right. right. They played the, the number one team in the country and had a league go into the fourth quarter. And you were there. I was. Tell me about the atmosphere at Furrow Field, which is the lead story. So they defer on the uh, on the coin oh, wow. toss. So we're going to we're going to no, go. I'm just gonna, I'm oh, just trying to set the here. scene a little oh, bit. Okay. So they defer on the coin toss, and Georgia gets the ball first. In my mind, I go, well, here comes the quickest 80 yard drive you've ever seen. Yep. Three start. And all of a sudden, and all, you and all the ladies you had with you were starting right. to feel like there might be a little magic in the air yep. on this crisp October evening. That's followed up by two turnovers that they made. And from that point on, the energy in the stadium was absolutely electric. Every time they had a third down, and I'll say this to people who doubt it, the Timmy Trumpets on third down in that situation. You have Timmy Trumpet available. I can get it up here in a second. Okay. But it got the people going. It got the people going. There was a great atmosphere. Uh, I'd say like the high point of it was that Mookie Cooper 40-yard pass over the top in, I guess, the third quarter. That really, the place was bumping. Like it was absolutely, and it was from get-go, like on the first drive, they were people were there and ready to go. And that just shows you a 6.30 start can do for yeah, the team. Yeah, I agree with that part, though, right there. Uh, you can give your thoughts, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford is joining us today. He's with us every Monday, Chris Kerber every Tuesday, Darren Pang every Wednesday, Dan McLaughlin every Thursday, and Gabe Yarman every Friday. That is uh, the lineup here on Balloon Party. How about that? Look at us. Yeah, look at us. Yeah, this is, you know, People, people talked, and uh, we listened, and we said, we got you. We'll become a real show to an extent. <laughs> I, I wasn't in on that meeting. Yeah, it was, I wanted to, you, surprise, you I wanted to surprise you. <laughs> Artie Larry Sanders. Yeah. Uh, what time is JR with us? 10-15. Uh, 10-15, all right. Uh, so the Missouri game. I, uh, I bet Missouri uh, money line, probably a surprising thing for many. Um and I was looking throughout the game to get to a spot where I could hedge because I was getting 20 to 1 on my money, Jackson. Yeah. And Missouri never, Georgia never got to a point where they were plus money. It got as close as Missouri was minus 125 in the fourth quarter. That's as good as it got, but Georgia was still minus 105. As far as the game itself goes, uh, I think so much credit has to go to Eli Drinkwitz and his coaching staff and those players for picking themselves up off after one of the more difficult defeats. Now, I don't compare it to fifth down and the flea kicker and Tyus Edney and Norfolk State and any of that stuff because 
uh, well, Norfolk taking Norfolk State out of the equation. Auburn's not a good team, and Missouri's, you know, not going to be doing anything special this year. But to pick yourself up off the floor like that and play against a team that is going to be competing for a national championship, just like the 1990 Colorado Buffaloes, 1995 UCLA Bruins, and 1997 Nebraska Cornhuskers, that's a credit to the coaching staff. And again, I have called it how I personally see it when it comes to Eli Drinkwitz. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if I'm right, I'm right. You can judge that for yourself. Uh, Furthermore, the defense. What they were doing on the line of scrimmage had Georgia befuddled in the first half. Now, it changed, to Georgia's credit, the talent and the scheme changed in the second half, and Georgia took over. But as far as what Missouri did in the first half, especially considering they were coming off of what they came off of the previous Saturday with blowing it at Auburn, that was phenomenal. Um, I, I never thought, ever, that Georgia would be at a point where they had to feel obligated to run a fake field goal right. to score on Missouri. Yeah. And I realize it didn't lead to a score, but they were going to have to uh, kick a field goal because they were being able to move the football against Missouri. That was just unbelievable. So that's a credit to the coaching staff and a number of the players, some of whom are new this year with the transfer portal, for that defense being a totally different operation than where it was at this time last year. 100%. That is a huge thing. Um, now, there are also some things that you go, well, we got problems here. You got a quarterbacking problem, you got a play calling problem. Uh, the hurry-up offense, after Cody Schrader nearly ran it in for a touchdown in the second quarter, uh, I thought was ill-advised. It was beyond me. And it led to a false start. And uh, and I did not like the manner with which they handled the play calling in the fourth quarter after Georgia had taken the lead. Three Brady Cook passes. Uh, it's just not high uh, high probability, especially with Dominic Lovett out. And then you punt. And right when they punted, I thought to myself, well, they're not going to get the football back. Georgia had scored on six straight possessions. As great as Missouri's defense was in the first half, Georgia had taken control of the line of scrimmage in the second half. And so if you're going to commit to taking those chances on the first three plays, you also, I think, have to go into it going, okay, even if it's fourth and 15, we're going to go for it. That is the approach. And that was a strange sequence to me. Disappointing. Now, do I think they were going to drive down the field and win the game? No. But at the same time, I like to assess probabilities, as we know. They're arbitrary. Missouri converting a fourth and 10. What percentage would you give that with what they have? Keep in mind, it's Brady Cook and no Dominic Lovett. So, 10%. And I would go 15%. Missouri stopping Georgia and getting the ball back with enough time on the clock to go down this field, and they had to score a touchdown. To 5%. Okay, and that's where I am on it. Yeah. So I realize you don't convert the 4th and 10, you lose the game, but by punting, you were losing the game right, as well. Right, you're just admitting. Yeah, and I, so much of that, the defense in the first half was – the two turnovers really got them because it got Georgia out of rhythm, and they were playing really, really well and defensively. And Bennett was playing poor. You yeah. got to acknowledge what was going on. Hundred percent. It's not like and, they were good. They and were guys bad. were dropping passes. There's no doubt about. It. But they were when they were running the ball, they were getting the running back in the backfield, at least making contact with them, slowing them down, getting them. And then the second half, it was evident that Georgia was going to change up. They're the number one team in the country. But Missouri's defense did a good job of bend, not break. You know, they're not. It's going to be tough to compete with the number one offense and 
uh, college football, but the idea of, okay, we're going to let, they're, they're going to get 10 yard gains of points, but if we don't let them go over the top on us, we can keep them to field goals. And they did a really, really good job of that. To not have an offensive touchdown for Georgia until the fourth quarter is a huge testament to the defense and the way that they were able to adjust throughout the game. But on offense, just so many times you just saw plays that sometimes look good. Brady Cook had a nice, where he evaded out and made a nice throw to the sideline, got us a first down. But at the end of the day, there was just plays that stopped dead in the tracks and then the Schrader hurry up offense and you can't punch that in that you're missing four points and you lose by four. Right. And they also, they had a, a first down conversion that was called back because yep. of a penalty on yep. hands to the face, which was costly. Same offensive lineman who had the false start at the one yard line. Overall, though, it's encouraging to see the defense. Bottom line is there aren't moral victories. As Gary Pinkle said when they nearly beat Vince Young in Texas 17 years ago, you got to close these things out. They should have beaten Auburn, and as crazy as it is to say, they legitimately should have closed that game out against Georgia because it was self-inflicted wounds that cost them. Uh, Gabe DeArmond said just now, about an hour ago anyway, on TMA, that Dominic Lovett's status is up in the air. He believes it is an ankle. Is encouraging as Missouri. Missouri fans may feel about what they saw on Saturday from the Tiger team that took Georgia down to the wire. You saw the offense struggle without Lovett out there. He is their best playmaker on offense, and that includes Luther Burden at the moment. And if he's not out there against Florida, if there are expectations that, oh, maybe they can go down to the swamp and beat Florida, which isn't exactly a a dynamic team at the moment Mm -hmm. themselves. They Mm -hmm. did beat Utah in week one, but they've had their problems. Uh, then that may have to keep those expectations in check because if you don't have love it on offense, that's a problem. Missouri has a bye week after that, and they may be more apt to give him a couple of weeks off, even with this game being of great importance. Uh, your thoughts. Are you now higher on the team than you were going into the game, or do you look at it, hey, you got to win games. That's what we're counting around here. Uh, I personally, in a year where there isn't going to be anything special going on, I view it as progress each game individually, and from that standpoint, I consider it to be progress but each game is viewed individually uh and so from that standpoint i thought it was progress on the other side of the state illinois does what missouri likes to do and that is get coaches fired by beating them they did that by beating the hell out of wisconsin in madison fresh off of wisconsin getting beat by ohio state and paul chris fired by the badgers you are seeing this more and more often now jackson coaches getting fired in college sports after bad losses and in the middle of the season I mean it was basically September it was October 1st when that game was played he's gone head coach of Colorado is gone Uh, I would imagine if Mevis performed how he did this past Saturday night and how incredible was he that Brian Harson would have been fired nine days ago at Auburn I still think he won't make it through the month of October Uh, but with all of that said that is what you are up against at the very least job openings at Wisconsin and Colorado if you want to make coaching changes and I would imagine there will be a job opening at Auburn at some point here in the near future as well we certainly will continue to talk about college football I can't wait to talk about the Cardinals the playoff situation the weekend that was as well and on the other side of the break we are looking forward to every Monday being joined by the great Jeremy Rutherford he is going to talk it over any questions you have specifically for JR don't hesitate to send them in Air Comfort Service text line 65 780. Tim McKernan with you until the top of this hour. And then Jackson, because the people demanded it, they said, I need four more hours of you, Tim. Yep. And I said, fine. You're a man of the people. I Thank you. Thank you. I know. It's awkward if you say it, so I'll do it for thank you. Thank you.
So, yes, I'll be back at uh, 2 p.m. with Anthony Stalter and what do you call Marshy Marsh and the Funky Bunch? Yeah, yeah, Big Marsh. That's right. Uh, so that'll be uh, coming up on the Fast Lane. JR next here on Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. We almost had quite a situation here on Balloon Party as I had to excuse myself and I bolted down the hallway to run to the Little Wizards room. And we nearly had Jackson hosting a hockey segment with Jeremy Rutherford. Yeah, that would have... Uh, I hope JR is well-versed in what the Bulls are going to look like without Lonzo Ball. <laughs> well, let's see what he thinks. Good morning, JR. Good, good, good. Yeah, I was thinking that that probably would have turned into an NBA segment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would have just taken you along for the ride, JR. <laughs> yeah, it's great to hear from you, JR. Every Monday here on Balloon Party. Looking forward to it this season. Yeah, looking forward to it. And I'm going to have to uh, work on my spelling. It was a long weekend, Tim and Jackson, and so I tweeted that I was joining you and you know, I've been writing for however long, and I forgot how to spell balloon. I'm like, is this two L's, two O's, one O, one L? It took me a couple minutes. I got to tell you, I'm the one responsible for this stupid name of this show, and I sometimes do the exact same thing. Yeah. Is it two L's? <laughs> how many O's are there? Could it be four in a row? I don't know. Two L's, two O's. Look what I did. Look what I did with this name. Yeah. Uh, you can text in your questions for Jeremy Rutherford, 65 780 Air Comfort Service text line. Jeremy Rutherford with us every Monday here on Balloon Party and looking forward to it. JR, big story of this camp uh, is the play of and potential fit for Logan Brown. At the end of last season, a lot of talk about how Brown is not a fourth liner but ought to be a third line player. Uh, and he seems to be taking uh, a lot of advantage of the opportunities so far. What is your view on what the club has seen from him? Uh, as he wasn't playing at the end of last year and what's gotten him the opportunity now so far. Yeah, Tim, I think that's one of the top storylines uh, this camp, and he's played well. You know, I think for the most part, he's got four goals scored uh, again the other night in Kansas City. And, you know, I go back to a couple of weeks ago when I talked to Craig Bruby for a Q&A and said, you know, who's the guy that we're not talking about for that top nine spot? And he said, Logan Brown. And sure enough, you come out, and he's that third-line center in camp. You know, it did strike me a couple of days ago, and I tweeted it that uh, – they did have a, what looked like a third line in Kansas City of uh, Saad and Barbashev in the middle and Josh Levo on the right side. You know, everybody at first was wondering, are they really going to move Barbashev down to the fourth line? He had 60 points, 26 goals last year, because that's where he'd been skating in camp. So, you know, it looked like they were giving him a look the other night at third line center. So that could be a possibility. Um, you know, that would be a bummer news for Logan Brown, who's uh, played well trying to earn this third line spot. So, you know, three more preseason games. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I think he's still got himself in that mix. We've talked about uh, the situation with uh, the Blues uh, defense here as the injuries have really eradicated the depth that when camp started, I think most people are going, man, look at this depth. And now all of a sudden, here you go. Uh, so with the case of that, uh, do you think the Blues feel comfortable with Lay Krug? Mikel on the left side? And if not, who do you think their first call-ups would be on D if uh, more injuries were to occur. Yeah, as strange as this sounds, even though they've had these two big injuries to Scandella and Scott Perinovich, and by the way, we're still waiting for the official update on that, but uh, of course all signs point to it being long-term, uh, I still think they're in a good spot. You know, no injuries to that top four. You know, I know some people were 
concerned, didn't like that Nick Letty contract, four years, $4 million a year. Look, if he would have got a two- or three-year deal at age 31, he could have got $5 million. So he, just like Doug Armstrong's done with the other guys, maybe a little longer on the term, that lessens AAV. Nick Letty comes in. We know he can skate. We know he can get the puck out. And he's going to give Colton Pareko a good partner. And, and we know what Krug and Falk can do. And, of course, you, you really like Falk. So I like that top four. And even though you've had the injuries to Skandel and Perinovic, you know, I like a third pair of Mikula and Bortuzzo. I think it gives the Blues a physical element that they don't have in that top four. The, the biggest thing is now those guys have to stay healthy. You have a Kali Rosen, who I think is going to be their seventh guy to start the season. He doesn't need to play every night. And then, yeah, the, the depth drops off after that, but it does with every team in the NHL. So, you know, I like where they're at right now. It's just now that you've had the two injuries, you just can't sustain anymore. Uh, I got this one from a couple of different people here, uh, Jr. and I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, asking about uh, Clint Costin. With, with regards to him uh, and a follow-up on it, do you think that the, him starting his career in the AHL instead of uh, the Russian or Canadian juniors hurt him in the long run? It seems like he's just never really been able to get his feet under him. So what is your assessment of the situation? What do you think of the organization's view of that situation is and slash was? Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, if he stays over in Russia and plays a couple years before he comes over, could that have helped? Uh, You know, I suppose. But to me, I think it's more the player. You know, I think the fact that he came over to North America and played in the AHL and, you know, got used to the smaller ranks, you know, his English got better. He got adapted to the culture. There was constant, you know, conversation between the organization and Clint Costin about what he needed uh, to work on. So, you know, to me, this one comes down to more the player. He's had a couple opportunities the past couple years, and you heard Craig Bruby the other day say, you know, he just isn't engaged. So uh, regardless of where he played, you know, year 18, year 19, you know, I think it's come down to, to him uh, and his will and, and realizing what the situation is and capitalizing on it. Long-term question here. But if the Blues are unable to sign O'Reilly, the center depth seems like it is a lot thinner. So with center being a, such a key position and also it's so difficult to upgrade via trade or free agency, is that something the Blues would feel pressure about going into any negotiations with O'Reilly, or do you think Armstrong would feel comfortable with the internal options if he were to leave? Yeah, I think you, you have, uh, obviously, Robert Thomas locked up for the ni- next nine years, the last year on his contract plus the next eight on that new deal. So you feel pretty good about that situation. You always have Braden Chen as that swing guy. He can play center. He can play wing. It looks like they're going to play him on the wing to start this season. We'll see. You know, after that, you got a Barbashev. you got a Logan Brown. So it's probably not as deep as you want. I personally think that they want to keep Ryan O'Reilly around. He'll still only be 32 years old when he starts a new contract. You know, you think it could be with the, the Blues. I think they like what he brings in terms of the, the leadership, the culture. You know, Thomas, Kairou, those guys could still uh, learn from him the next couple of years. So I don't expect it if they try to get uh, O'Reilly done to be a long-term deal. You know, I'm not looking at five, six, seven years, but I think they could get an O'Reilly contract three, four, five years max and get it at a good price, keep him around, and address uh, what you, you're talking about there is what could be a lack of uh, center depth if he were to leave. Well, Jeremy Rutherford with us here on Balloon Party. He is part of the Rutherford Report every Monday here on 101 ESPN from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. And along those lines with Barbashev, uh, he's at an interesting spot in his career now. Uh, he's shown he's going to be a 20-goal center, but at, at the most time, you know, you would think that he's probably going to be a chance anyway. He might be the fourth liner for the Blues. Other teams, he might be on the second or third lines. So he's an unrestricted free agent after this year. 
Uh, do you think his future is somewhere else? And so would the Blues view it that way? Or is this another case of Armstrong getting the most out of a player in a contending year while knowing the team probably can't resign him when the summer rolls around? Yeah, I do think this is going to be the last year for Barbashev uh, here for a couple reasons. First of all, you know, the 60 points last year, 26 goals. Tim, he did that on 23.4% shooting percentage. And, you know, it's probably not sustainable. Nobody in the NHL can keep a shooting percentage like that. You know, most guys are 11 12%, maybe 15 if you're having a pretty good year. He is at 23%. He also had four empty net goals. You know, that's not to take anything away from Barbashev. It was a terrific year last year. But, you know, he's a guy who's kind of been a third, fourth liner, and paid like a third or fourth liner. He's making $2.25 million. It's definitely going to go up next year after that 60-point season unless he just completely falls off the earth uh, this year. And I don't think the Blues are going to want to pay three, $3 million plus for a, a potential third or fourth line guy. You know, they moved uh, Oscar Sundquist to Detroit in part because they didn't want to pay uh, what they thought was going to be a third or fourth line guy, you know, $3 million. So I think that uh, he's probably priced himself out with all the contracts, the big money the Blues have given to those other guys. They're just, just not going to be able to afford Barbashev at that price. Uh, so far from what you've seen, what has stood out to you, whether it be positive or negative? Well, a couple things. You know, I think that uh, you still look at this uh, depth up front. You know, everybody probably disappointed over the loss of David Perron. Uh, obviously that's going to hurt the power play goal. He led the, the team in power play goals and points, but the power plays look pretty good. They still have a number of weapons. So, uh, you know, I think you can still still feel pretty good about that unit coming into the season. And, and look, they're not going to have nine 20-goal scorers, but I think they've got a chance for six or seven. You could maybe even throw Justin Falk in there, 16 goals last year, uh, and he, he had just one on the power play. So he's a guy, you know, who I think uh, could get to 20. You know, I touched on that top four defense. They're looking good. Everybody's you know, moving the puck well. You know, I think Colton Preco is going to be better for having Nick Letty from day one. And I wrote a story about it uh, recently at The Athletic with uh, Jordan Bennington. You know, he's made some great saves. Seems like he's in a different mindset. Last year was a tough year for him to kind of deal with things. Uh, he was telling us that, uh, it, you know, you kind of lose that motivation when you're not playing with that anger anymore. And so he's kind of find, you know, a quiet spot where he can have success. So we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, as you get into this final week and a half, of uh, training camp before they open the season October 15th. Uh, I feel pretty good about things watching them out here. Jeremy Rutherford, every Monday here on 101 ESPN, and Jackson has a couple questions about the uh, Bulls and uh, Lonzo Ball. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what you think about how Lonzo is going to, you know, they're not going to probably have Lonzo this season. Is Caruso going to step up? Is it going to be a lot more Patrick Williams? You know, who's going to be the X factor there? DeMar DeRozan can't do it all by himself. No, but uh, Pippen's still there, right? That's right. correct. Uh, Pippen, yeah. He is. Yeah. Cool coach. Yeah. 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 Cool, cool coach. No, I think they'll be fine there. You know, Ball, his dad, uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders. You know, he'll talk <laughs> him through this and, you know, seems pretty smooth. And, you know, if they have any issues there, you know, dad can come in and just kind of tell everybody what's going on. So I, I think the Bulls will be fine there, Jackson. All right. Wow. I mean, he just came right back over the top on your three bet. He four bet you. Yeah. you. Could and I don't think he has anything, but you got to fold. You could ask me a question about any NHL team, and I couldn't have given you anything close to that. So. <laughs> but JR is a trained professional. He knows how to handle it. Right. You go back to Scottie Pippen. Yeah, that's a, that's a great play. <laughs> Scottie Pippen is his ex is currently going out with Michael Jordan's son. Yes, you know that Larsa, who's has been a you know she's been around. And, uh, his son is who was playing for Vandy a couple like, last year. So 
The Pippins are very relevant still, JR. All right, there you go. So Jeremy's uh, answer was right on point. Jackson, you tried, you tried to take him down. No, I'm, I, I mean... I might have found my partner for the NBA hour on 3 a.m. <laughs> yes. on Wednesdays. I'm just thankful that I watched that uh, last dance, so I was able to uh, come <laughs> up with an answer there. JR, uh, appreciate the time. Looking forward to talking to you throughout the season every Monday here with the Rutherford Report. Appreciate it, man. Two L's, two O's. Balloon party. Thanks. See, there it is. Thanks, I, I like that. Could be the slogan. Uh, all right. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford with us here. On the other side of our commercial break, we are talking Cardinals the weekend that was the state of the National League race uh, because it could all be settled here tonight, literally. And we would know who the Cardinals will play on Friday. Don't know when they will play. All of that is coming up next as we get into the Cardinals here on Balloon Party 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan Action Jackson with you. It's a program that solicits your involvement via Air Comfort Service text line. Jackson is dancing. This one's kind of a, kind of a bop, a bopping around. Thoughts on that, 65780, and you can leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. Jackson, your thoughts on this weekend. What stands out to you from Bush Stadium? I say Cardinals-Pirates final regular season weekend. What comes to mind? Think, go! Uh, What's in your mind? Love to see them honoring Albert and Yachty and and doing it full out and letting them address the fans. I thought that was really, really awesome. Uh, I thought bringing them all out at once you know, Wayno, Yadi, and Albert walking off the field. That's gonna whoever got the picture behind them walking off with the fans in front of them. Yeah, I saw some great images from the post dispatch. Tip of the cap to their photographers. Yeah, that's gonna be really, really awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean the play on the field and Albert hitting seven oh two was really cool, tying Babe Ruth for most RBIs, uh, or second most RBIs. Um, that was really awesome. But at the end of the day, it's just with nothing really to play for. Is not capturing me from like the wow play, from the play on Startling the field. Startling take, alarming here. Ten thirty six. Oh wow. <laughs> well, I mean, it was. It's awesome that they got to do this, but like from the play on the field, there was great college football on. There was NFL on yesterday. Like it's going to be tough to grasp people when there's nothing really to play for. God, I I got to tell you something, and I'm not Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharpen you. I'm really surprised by that. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong because it's in the eye of the beholder, Mm -hmm. but I got the sense that the vast majority of St. Louis sports fans were locked in on what was taking place this weekend. I'm being dead serious. Really? Yeah. Wow. Look at you just turned off by St. Louis sports fans. No, I'm just, I'm so, that surprise was just to an extent. Like, I thought it was, I loved watching the ceremony. Albert Hitting 702, obviously incredible. And there's tons of fans at the stadium. It's the last home stand of this year, but. I mean, like, are they are people really concerned about like the play? I'm concerned about Wainwright, but outside of that, like, they're just kind of playing out the string, no? Well, they are, but that that wasn't the story. Like, I wasn't going to go. Well, they lost to the Pirates. <laughs> okay. Let me break down the third <laughs> inning. I'm making the observation that you had Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina honored. You have him hit 702 in his right. final regular season game. Yep. He had a home run in his first regular season game as a Cardinal in 2001, Bush Stadium, that is. His first game was at Colorado. But uh, I think the emotion is what you take away from it. At least that's what I think most fans did. Sure. And I, 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 I thought I was going to be the unpopular one in this segment, but thank you. My God, you are a mercenary, sir. I uh, do what I can. But... Uh, I I think, I don't know if it's being, I don't know what it is. 
I just I sometimes I think it's it's a little thick, I guess would be the way I would describe it. You're nodding knowingly, I noticed. Now you were dancing, now you're nodding knowingly. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and with that all established, now that's my own personal thing, and it's amazing what you did at the opening of the segment, because I thought I was going to take some shrapnel here. Uh, I thought him hitting a home run in his, his final game, 702, to tie Babe Ruth. I mean, Babe Ruth. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and then to have the three of them walk off the field together and how that closes out what has been essentially, I think if you average out the careers, it gets you to right at two decades. Poole starting in 2001, uh, Wainwright in 05, 06, and Molina in 04. You know, I mean, and they're walking off the field together. Now, Wainwright might not be done, but that's a, that is a powerful thing. And it also represents an incredibly successful run of baseball, a cons- an incredibly consistent successful run of baseball and i thought that image was just perfect yeah my understanding from some people who are texting in here and some people who texted in a tma this morning is that a lot of people in the ballpark didn't catch it because you know you don't have the broadcasts you know you watch it on on valleys and dan mclaughlin and bt are setting the stage and they have the overhead camera and, and it was you know incredibly well done so you know, but if you're in the ballpark, you might not have realized exactly what was going on, that they were walking off the field for the final time together in a regular season game. Now, hopefully we see them play like 10-plus more games. That'd be great. But the reality is there is a chance, and I would say it's in the 50% range, that the Cardinals are done this time next weekend. Or this time next week, I should say. It's just reality. It might yeah. not sound pleasant. I don't care. It's the truth. And so uh, that was powerful. And what that represents to so many people, whether they be St. Louisans or Cardinal fans around the country, and the way they were able to do it, to think that the Cardinals, especially at this time last year, um, or maybe even better, this time last August, um, before the winning streak, would be able to, with this team, with Wainwright and Molina, and then Albert Pujols, now with 702 home runs, as a Cardinal, to get that 700 and send now 702 home runs, that they walk off the field, 90-plus wins, division champions. That is a true storybook ending and closure. And for them, you know, it, it may not mean as much as for the people in the stands because in their minds like yeah we still have work to do and so it's a formality that it's regular season because we will be playing here friday and saturday at the very least but when it ends however it ends and only one team will get to end without tears in their eyes uh it, it it can be on the road you know i don't know how many people remember our our guest last wednesday ozzy smith his last at bat was a awkward spot where the Cardinals were getting hammered at Fulton County Stadium in Game Seven of the 1996 NLCS, and the fans there did acknowledge it. But that could be the way it ends. Now yeah. the Cardinals had an Ozzy Smith day before that in 1996, so you have this, and you have the speeches, and you have those moments, you have the appreciation expressed by the players to the fans, and the fans to the players. 
but the moment and the image, and that's what I was trying to ask, but I guess I didn't ask it well, like what you think of from this weekend and that image of the three of them walking off together, for somebody who observes it as being at times a little thick, and by that I mean a little overdramatic on the sentimentality, and that's my opinion, I realize it's probably an unpopular opinion, but that's how I view it, uh, I thought that was perfect because that represents that 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 generation of players ties generations of fans together. There are probably parents and grandparents who did see Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright play who are no longer around, but their children and grandchildren are watching them play and probably thought of their parents and grandparents watching those guys. And the success, the span of the 21 years of Albert Pujols in the game and is now 12 years with the Cardinals, uh, means and Yadier Molina as a stalwart behind the plate for the Cardinals, leading them to two world championships and the appreciation the pitchers have for the way he calls a game. And Adam Wainwright, the friendly, charismatic competitor who has done such an, an incredible job both in the regular season and in some incredibly important postseason starts. Um, you know, all three of those guys walking off, you just don't have it go down that way. And I know they'll never get the attention that the what big four in New York, yeah, when there had was, what, Riviera, Jeter, Posada, Bernie Williams, Williams, yeah, you know, because A, it's the Yankees, and you know, and B, they won, you know, a hell of a lot more championships yeah. than, than this pairing did. But if the Cardinals get one here, you know, that's three, but that's and, their modern big four, you know, this is this that's is, what I'm saying, yeah, and so they get to walk off the field together, yeah, that that was outstanding and i i legitimately loved that i love that image that's an image that i would put in my office i just thought that was perfection the home run outstanding but that image of them walking off the field together whoever came up with it i don't know if that was marmol the organization dewitt mazalak i don't know but it was a great idea yeah and um it was a perfect way to close their regular season careers as Cardinals. It's funny you say that. So my dad's birthday was at the beginning of September. I got him this uh, print, this painting kind of, of Albert, Yadi, and Wayno walking off the field. And it was, you know, just a made-up thing because it hadn't happened yet. But now that that has actually happened when it did on Sunday or yesterday, mm-hmm. now the the picture has a lot more, you know, value because it actually did happen. That What happened in this painting that I got for my dad did happen. And that's, he's, you know, this is all about family, you know, watching Cardinal games with your family, seeing these three guys play, like you said, for almost two decades. And to see it all kind of culminating, come to the end with all of them walking off the field, it's very field of dreams, very, you know, an awesome moment. Yeah, I I legitimately loved that. And I thought, and like I said, I saw a few pictures uh, from the post-dispatch that they just got incredible images of that moment. Uh, Your thoughts are welcome. 65780. We will continue the discussion on the Cardinals, the state of the National League race, who they will most likely be playing, although it is not set, and where things stand in the National League playoffs. Because since we were last with you on Friday, things have changed substantially. Uh, We'll tell you how and why. Uh, you can text in 65780, Air Comfort Service text line, or leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Trying to see if you're going to dance. Yeah, you are doing a little dance, like Doc Severinsen. You know who Doc Severinsen is? Absolutely not. He conducted the band on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Oh, nice. Yeah. This one's kind of, yeah, right in the pocket right there. Put it in a pocket, pocket, pocket. Put it in a pocket, pocket. Hold it now. Uh, do we have a mic drop? Yeah. Okay. The vamp, vamp. All right, here we go. Big weekend. Great ceremonies. Final weekend of the season. Stop it! That's not the final home game! We play at home all next weekend. Let me see what time we play. Oh, TBD, what are you going to tell us? The day of the game? Are we supposed to just guess when the game is? And also, even Tommy Tribbins doesn't go to the concession stand until after his Little League game. Get out of the suites and get back in the dugout. Tired of it. Well, Steve. Not happy. Not happy that the game time hasn't been announced. I uh, had Jackson uh, check on that with the great Mike Ryder, executive producer, 101 ESPN. No time yet. Yeah. Gonna... Now, there are four games on Friday. There are four games on Saturday. It's a wide delta. Yeah, boy. Because the Cardinals, at this moment, I would allocate 71%, Jackson, that they will be playing the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, I'd say that's a... That's right, right in the wheelhouse there. I would allocate 2% that they'll be playing the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. And then, therefore, 27% goes to the Padres. Yep. Uh, the Padres lead the Phillies by a game, and the Phillies lead the Brewers by a game, but they have a magic number of one. Now, they got rid of the one-day tiebreaker games right. for 2022. So, because the Phillies won the season series against the Brewers— they go on if they finish with the same record. Phillies can clinch a playoff spot tonight. Padres clinched yesterday when the Brewers lost. Brewers have absolutely blown this. Yeah, they they have going back to the end of July. They did mid July is really when they traded Hater. Yeah, uh, and so the Brewers are most likely not going to be in, um, and so therefore it would be the Cardinals and Phillies. But if the Padres were to give up their lead and the Cardinals would play them, that takes, I think, the early start out of the equation because of a West Coast team. Right. And what's the earliest start central time they could go? 12, 15? I would think. Yeah, they, they, won't, they won't start baseball at 10, 15 on the West Coast. So I, you I, have, I, you I have, hope. You have, you have a West Coast team in the American League yeah. with the Mariners. The Mariners. You have a, a West Coast team in the National League now, officially, with the, the Padres. Padres. Padres always seemed likely to be there. Um, and I would imagine at this point now, because what has changed over the weekend, the Braves just yeah. shipping. Crazy. Just shipping the Mets. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Braves now are in command of the National League East after they swept the Mets. Yeah. And so now the Mets go from looking like a rock-solid two-seed and a bye to having a deal with the Padres, most likely, as a four-seed. Man, they're going to be so upset in Queens if they had this incredible season, give it away in like the last two weeks, and then lose in the wild-card rounds. And the Padres will have Blake Snell ready to go. Yep, He threw yesterday. They lost 2-1, to but he threw yesterday, so he'll be ready to go. By the way, Aaron Nola pitching tonight for the Phillies. He would be ready to go on Friday. Yep. 
the Brewers have Corbin Burns throwing on Wednesday, so he would not be able to throw right. on full rest anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, the Brewers at this point, no. I mean, they lose a game or the Phillies win a game, the Brewers are done, and your playoff field is set. Yep. Uh, so, with that all said, the Mets are in a spot now where they most likely, again, it's not done, but most likely would be playing the Padres because they trail the Braves by two. The Braves are a 100-win team, and now the Mets, who look like they would be a 100-win team, uh, will have to win two of three to get there. The Cardinals at 92 and 67, and they will play most likely the Philadelphia Phillies and Aaron Nola. Do you like that matchup for the Cardinals? I like it better than playing the Padres. I agree. So it's and obviously you'd want the Brewers, but right now it's going to be super unlikely you're going to face the Brewers. So you take the one game against Nola. And hope that you can hit off the bull, get the bullpen, or maybe you can get. They, they, Nola. Hit, they hit Nola around this yeah. year. They play, they faced him one time, and they hit him around yeah. uh, no, this year. Nola's good, but he's not. You know, he's not Degrom. He's not Scherzer. He's not a guy who's an absolute world ender. But he's a really good pitcher, and given the right circumstances, he can look like one of those guys. He is a he is a wide delta guy. Yeah, he is a guy that can go out and and shut you down, and he's a guy, like Cardinals did get to him earlier in the year, and his last start, I think, against the Cubs, they kind of hit him around. Uh, so with that said, most likely you are seeing Aaron Nola on the mound at Bush Stadium Friday at time TBD to the dismay <laughs> of Steve. Who will get the ball for the Cardinals? I got to go Michaelis. Okay. I got to go. I, I would gotta, agree with that. I got to go Michaelis. Adam Wainwright following the game yesterday you know, certainly he enjoyed the ceremonies and everything, but he was not in a great place. He said, I went from looking like I was going to start game one to possibly not starting at all. Yeah. Do you give Adam Wainwright a start? I do just because of the factor that he's delivered time and time and time again. But, yeah, I mean, I think the instinct from anybody in baseball is like, this guy isn't right, his arm isn't there right now, and it could be a big issue if we put him out there in the playoffs. Uh, I, I I think if I ask 10 Cardinal fans what your three-man rotation is for the best of three series in the wild card round, again, most likely against the Phillies, uh, I think I could get 10 different answers as far as yeah. the names and the order. How about this morning on TMA? Doug Vaughn saying he would put Jack Flaherty as the three starter. Yeah, I mean, right now, given well, the best pitcher in liked, September is Quintana. Yeah, yes, he and, he's in there. And I mean, the three best pitchers for the Cardinals in the month of September, statistically, in order, are Quintana, Michaelis, and Flaherty. Yeah. yeah. Yep. As far as more than one game started, Hudson's carrying a zero ERA, but he's only started one game. Right. So the Cardinals are going to go with Michaelis and Quintana tonight mm-hmm. to. Have them ready to go. Yeah. Have them get work in, and yeah. then off they go. Yeah, I like I, the, that move. The, this this attendance in Pittsburgh tonight might be <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah, it might be very very slim. I mean, they showed pictures of it last week when they were playing the Reds. Nice of them to schedule as a day game. I'm sure the Pittsburgh fans are like, great, we can go over to the ball game to watch them play the Reds. Uh, but with no Pujols drama, um, this will be a lightly attended one, I would imagine. It's like an exhibition for the car. There's nothing to gain. Nothing. Just stay yeah. uh, just stay healthy. So uh, I would guess at this moment, God, I don't know, man. I mean, it's Michaelis Quintana. I would feel confident with saying that yes, as far I as agree. the first two. And then you just go all hands on deck. I mean, it's you're, all the chips are in the middle, and if yeah. you don't get past it, so it's like, oh, we can start Wainwright, and if he's not right, get him out of there. But at the same time, if you fall behind 3 nothing, you got a situation. Yeah, it's dire. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, and Montgomery, who was incredible once they acquired him from the Yankees, 
has kind of fallen off. Now he's kind of, you know, you're not certain that he's in there at three. Flaherty's look good, but he's dealing with shoulder issues and consistency issues. And Wayne doesn't look the same. So big question mark. And if your son going into Sunday, it's a big question mark there. Uh, let's see. The uh, number of people texting in Michaelis Quintana Flaherty. All right. How about that? I'd like to see it. How about that? People the hot are in hands. the hot hands. That's what it is at this moment. Uh, BK and Ferrari are coming up next. Jackson, then I will come back because there was a groundswell of support. I believe there was a line yeah. around the building. Movement. Thank real, you. Real grassroots Said, movement. We need more, and so I will give you more. At 2 p.m., I will join Anthony Stalter and Marshy Marsh and the playful posse on the fast lane from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.